along with today's message. Well, I'll tell you, I want to tell you, uh, before we go to John 12, just how much I have enjoyed visiting with so many of you um, over this past week since we made our announcement that the church now owns 15 acres of property out on the west side of Bella Vista, just out by the bypass. And I've I've enjoyed your comments and, and your thoughts and your questions, and we've had a lot of engaging conversations. It's been wonderful. In case you didn't know this already, but uh, last week our brand new signs went up on the property, and some of you have said, hey, we drove out there to look at it. But yeah, we can clap for that. But now we have these signs out there all over the property that hopefully will do the job of announcing to our community that one day in the not-too-distant future, there's going to be a brand-new church sitting out there, Um, an extension, another church of New Life Christian Church will be a multi-site church, and it is pretty exciting stuff. If you weren't able to be a part of our weekend last week, let me just encourage you to go to our website and watch the message Because in that message, I tried to, in the most detailed way I knew how, to kind of walk you through that decision and what the Lord is doing and how he has provided for us and progressed this conversation along and open doors and all all of that. So please go and and watch that. Also, last weekend, um, the leadership put in front of you a request that you would spend this last week praying about um, a special offering that we're going to take today. And that offering uh, is to complete the land purchase. We have about $100,000 left to pay off. And uh, we trust and and hope that you have prayed about it and that you're just going to follow whatever it is that the Lord would have you do there. And before you go home today, uh, all of us will have the opportunity to give that offering. And if you've already turned in your commitment cards into the the offering basket, that's perfectly fine that you did that. Um, For the rest of you, there are baskets in the back of the room that as you leave, you can drop off this envelope. And this is also in your bulletin today. Um, You can drop that off with your commitment or your gift um, before you go home. And let me just say a quick word about that, then we will get to John chapter 12. If you came today and you prayed about it and like, the Lord wants me to give this gift, you can just put that check or cash in the envelope, drop that in the basket. Your name is completely optional. You can put that on there if you want. You don't have to. Maybe you're going to be like my wife and I. We've been praying about this for a good long while, and we determined what we felt like the Lord put on our heart to give, but we're actually going to give that over the next few months. So we've broken up that gift into some monthly gifts, and we're going to do it that way, and maybe you would choose to do it the same way. If that's you, just mark on your envelope monthly, and then drop that off so we kind of know what to expect. Also on your envelope, you're going to see that um, we gave you instructions that some of you may choose, like, I'm just going to... I'm going to bypass this envelope stuff, and I'm just going to go online and give my gift because that's how I do everything, and that's perfectly fine, too. You can go to our website, newlifenwa.com backslash give, or just open our website. There's a link to the giving portal there, and it's just like anything else. If you're like me, my life is all online. I pay my bills. I do all my transactions, my banking, so it's easy for me to do it that way. It's super easy to do it that way. You can give your gift or your monthly gift um, through our website. Also, one last thing. Um, this doesn't, this isn't going to interest everybody, but it will interest some of you who live your life on your phone and do everything. We're starting a new feature um, called Text to Give. And if you look in your bulletin, you're going to see a graphic that has instructions on how to do this. And I did it for the first time last week, and I'll be honest with you, I was shocked and surprised at how simple it was. Here's how you do it. Um, all you do is you type in, the first time you do it, just type in 
than $1, just type 1, and then text that to that number, 84321. Hit send, and within like five seconds, you're going to get a reply with a link. Tap the link, and it will take you to a sign-up, a registration page. What they're going to need to know is your email address and then your method of giving. Some of you are like, here's my debit card, here's my bank account, however you want to do it, and then submit, and you'll get an email reply saying, thank you, setup was complete. Now, once you do that, your text to give is completely set up. It took me literally 60 seconds to do that. And so now, whenever I want to, um, all I have to do is type whatever dollar amount I want to give. So let's say I want to give $50. So I type 50, building fund, one word, send, and it is done. It is that simple. And you can do it as many times as you want. So if you want to do that every day, $50, (laughs) building fund. Send $5,000 building. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. However you choose to give, we just trust that um, the Lord's speaking to your heart. And here's what I've told everybody. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, that's what you should do. And, you know, it's between you and the Lord. And, um, but uh, if you choose to participate in that, um, please let us know by dropping off your commitment cards. and Tell us what you intend to do. And that way we can prepare. And our goal, Lord willing, is, is that uh, this special offering will pay off the rest of that land. And uh, it will be off our minds and, and ready to move on to the next phase. All right. Hey, let's open your Bibles, if you haven't done so, to John chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. We are continuing our series called The Gospel of John. Now, the last few weeks has been a little sporadic because we had Creation Weekend followed by Vision Sunday. So we've kind of been in and out of the Gospel of John. So let me help you get back into it. The Gospel of John is one of four major accounts of Jesus's life. They're the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, who goes by the name John. He's also known and referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So as an older man, John sits down and he writes about his experience with Jesus. Now this is many years after Jesus walked the earth, after he died on the cross and had risen to life. This is years after the church had begun. So the church had been going and had has been established. And, and so John, in his old age, sits down and he writes this inspired account of the life of Jesus Christ. Do you remember why he said he did it? He says right there in his gospel, I'm writing this so that whoever, whoever reads it will believe. What does he want them to believe? That Jesus is the Son of God. That's why he wrote it. So this entire series, we have been focusing on the miracles and the interactions and the conversations that Jesus had with people that at the end of it left them with this one conclusion. Yes, indeed, Jesus is in fact the Son of God and I believe it and I hope that as we read the Gospel of John, we come to that same conclusion Many of us are already believers. We already believe, but as we read it, it reinforces and it grows us and matures us. And we're like, yes, I do believe that Jesus is, in fact, the very Son of God. Now, the last time that we were in the Gospel of John, we worked our way through chapter 11. Who remembers what incredible thing happened in John chapter 11? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That's where we left off. There was a man named Lazarus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were friends of Jesus. And Lazarus dies. 
He dies, and they, they put him in the tomb. And four days later, Jesus shows up. And what happens? Jesus says, open that tomb, and they do, even though they resisted. Why did they resist? It's been four days. It's not going to smell very good. And he goes, open it anyway. They open the tomb, and Jesus says, Lazarus, you come on out here. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus, to everybody's shock, walks out of the grave, still wearing all of the grave clothes. Now, when we read John chapter 11, we learn that there was a good-sized crowd that showed up that day. They were there to show support for the family. They were there to mourn with the family, and, and they saw this as well. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you think that this crowd of people kept this miracle to themselves? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. They went out and they told everybody and news of what Jesus had done for Lazarus. It spread like a wildfire on a windy day and everybody knew about it. People wanted to see Jesus. There's this increase. There's this swell of desire. and People, where is he? Is he going to be here? Where's he coming from? This is also, we read, an intensified effort by the religious leaders to arrest and kill Jesus. Now you got your Bibles open um, in John chapter 12. I want you to back up a couple verses into John chapter 11, starting in verse 54. And this is what happened right after he raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 54 of chapter 11. Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. As I mentioned two weeks ago, the resurrection of Lazarus, it previews the resurrection of Jesus. But it also does something else. When Lazarus walked out of that tomb, it was as if Jesus was signing his death warrant. That act right there, it was the final straw for these religious leaders who are now more determined than ever to kill him. The Bible tells us that in, in, in the 12th chapter of John, that these religious leaders, they hated the fact that there were so many Jewish people that were running after Jesus and believing him. There's a swell of people saying, yep, he is the one, isn't he? And we want to be. So where is he? Is he coming? I want to follow him. They hated this. They, uh, they were jealous. They didn't want to lose their control, their authority, perhaps they were thinking, you know what, this new thing, this new Messiah talk is going to push us right out of, of relevance. Their only solution was, it's time to kill Jesus. The time has come, and we're going to do it. So everybody's wondering, is Jesus going to come? Is he going to come to Passover? What well, we learn in chapter 12, Jesus indeed will come to the Passover celebration. And a week later... He'll be nailed to a cross, and he'll die on it. But first, on his way to Jerusalem, he has a stop to make. He stops at Bethany, where his good friend, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live, and he pays them a visit. Look at verse 1. 
of chapter 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, let me just say, we're not really sure how much time has passed from the time that Jesus um, raised Lazarus from the dead and when he comes back for the Passover. We're not sure how long that was, but we can discern from all the Gospels that it wasn't a very long time. Jesus and his disciples, they withdrew to the region of Ephraim, which we know is only about 12 miles away. So it's not like Jesus went all the way across the country. It's not like he traveled over there and was gone for a year. No, that doesn't seem what the text indicates. Jesus was gone for a little while, and he withdrew from people And now he's on his way back for Passover. Jesus knows what is coming. He he, he knows. So he comes back to Bethany, which is just a mile or so outside of the city. And he meets with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now look at verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Would you agree that it is not hard to figure out why Jesus was the guest of honor? I mean, this thing, he's the guest. They, they throw this dinner and they make Jesus the guest of honor. Of course they did. Why? Because he recently raised their brother from the dead. They are honoring him. They love Jesus. They are saying thank you to Jesus. And they're expressing it in a way that they know how. And you know, we would do the same thing if we were in their shoes. Because it is natural to respond graciously to someone else's generosity. Isn't that true? We respond graciously to somebody's generosity. Now, think about a time in your own life when somebody did something that was so, so special for you. Think about that. How did you respond to that? What what was your response to that? You don't have to raise your hand, but is anybody alive today because someone else saved your life? Is there anybody that can actually say, this person who I'm thinking of saved my life. I'd be dead without them. How do you respond to that? Has anybody ever sacrificed something so costly to themselves for you? How did you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Think about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. What did Jesus do for them? Well, he brought Lazarus, their brother, back from the dead. They had already said their goodbyes. They were mourning his loss. And Jesus gave him back. He gave Mary and Martha, perhaps, the income earner in their family back, which was a huge thing in this day and age. He gave them back, perhaps, security that they had lost with Lazarus' death. Uh, He gave them back perhaps their very future and their hope that we're going to be okay. How do you say thank you? How do you express, express gratitude for something so grand that somebody has done for you? Well, for starters, they do what they know how to do. We're going to cook a lot of food, and we're going to invite Jesus, and we're going to make him the center of attention, and we're going to make him the guest of honor. That's the first thing that we're going to do. Now, watch what happens next. Look at verse 3. Then Mary, she took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, 
And she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It doesn't seem like it to us, but this was no small gesture of thanks. This, in fact, was huge. This was huge. And it's going to be hard for us. I'm going to try to help us, but it's going to be hard for us to really understand just how big this expression of thanks was. Without warning, Mary, she, she takes out this pure nard, this perfume, this lotion. It's a pint of it. It's very expensive. And she pours it out all over Jesus's feet. This was an extravagant gift. This was an extravagant expression. I've looked into this as best as I, I could to try to understand what exactly is nard? It's not something I think you can pick up at Walmart. And, you know, it's like, what is nard? Well, I've learned that nard was this highly prized perfume back in this day. It came from the Himalaya region of India. It was imported into Israel, and, and it would range in color. Sometimes it was an amber color. Sometimes it was a very deep blue color. And it's characterized, its aroma is characterized as a heavy, sweet, woody, spicy odor, which does nothing for me. Maybe that describes it for you, but that doesn't. Really, but that's how they describe it. Maybe some of you, like, oh, I can kind of visualize or kind of what that smells like. In the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon, Solomon will reference nard in how wonderful it smelled in his description of his wife's beauty. So, is there something about this that is just? incredible. We do know that such an out-of-the-ordinary luxury like nard would have been highly prized in this ancient world by both men and women. And Mary goes all out. She doesn't just dip her finger in it and rub a little. No, no, no. She dumps it upside down, empties the contents all over Jesus's feet, and, and it's so excessive that she lets down her hair and she mops up the excess with her hair, something that that I'll never know what that feels like, but she mops it up with her hair and she rubs it all in and, and, and the Bible says that it was such a pleasurable experience because of how good it smelled to everybody in the house. You gotta climb into first century shoes here. It's not like you can go down to Kohl's and smell a thousand different fragrances. This was so rare. This was so unusual. It was a blessing to everybody. Well, Almost everybody. There was one person in the room who was not impressed. Look at verse 4. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, he objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. That's what Judas said. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in. You may not realize this, but right here in John chapter 12 is the first recorded words in Scripture out of Judas's mouth. And they're not good words, are they? I mean, the first words out of Judas's mouth show us just how far apart at this point in Jesus' life of Judas's heart and mind, how far away they are from, from Jesus' heart and mind. 
John, as he's writing this many years later, he fills in some details that obviously he did not know in the moment. In the moment, the disciples had no idea that Judas was such a scumbag. They had no idea that he was going, that he was cheating even the disciples. And, and, and John is the one who fills us in on, hey, Judas was the guy, he was our treasurer, and he kept the money for the disciples, and he helped himself to it often. They didn't know that in the moment. They would have shut it down had they known that. But later, remember, John's writing this much later. He's learned much more. And so he learned somewhere that Judas had been doing this, and he fills us in. He's helped paint a picture. Judas was not a good guy. And so he's upset. He's mad about this. He's mad at Mary's gift. I think the difference between Mary's attitude and Judas's attitude is kind of the same difference that we see today um, when it comes to a Christian's perspective on giving and somebody who's not um, their perspective. You know, take somebody who's unsaved. They look at the things the church is involved with and how the church uses their resources and the natural inclination, we see it all of the times, they say, you know what, what a waste. The church is wasting their time. They're wasting their resources. It's silly for anybody to give to anything like that. That's how the unsaved see it. But to a Christian who understands gratitude for salvation, it's something that the lost will never understand until they're one with Christ. According to Judas, the nard that was just used as a foot lotion, he said, could have been sold for a year's worth of wages. The actual amount in the Greek text is uh, 300 denarii. A denarius is a small little coin. In fact, when I was visiting the Museum of the Bible last summer, they had some first century uh, denarius um, on display, small little coin. And if you were an unskilled laborer and you worked all day, typically your pay would be one denarius. It's the equivalent of a day's wage. And so there's about 300 denarii, and in equivalent buying power in the United States, people have have, uh, extrapolated this out and figured out that's about 30 grand today in the U.S. of A. So Judas is upset. He's like saying, Mary, you just wasted $30,000 for no reason at all. He goes, we could have sold that and given that money to the poor. There's another detail that John fills us in that he would learn later. Judas didn't care about the poor. He cared about lining his own pockets. Remember, it's just a few days after this that Judas will sell his very soul for 30 pieces of silver. We know what was on Judas's mind. Jesus comes to Mary's rescue. Look at verse 7. Leave her alone. Jesus said, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let me clarify something that Jesus said, because this is often um, a little confusing for people. Jesus here is what he says. He is not downplaying the presence of, of the underprivileged. He's not suggesting that, you know what, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to end world hunger. You're never going to end world poverty. He's not acknowledging any of those things. Jesus is acknowledging the very fact that he knows his days are numbered. We're about a week away from his death, and he knows it. The opportunities for personal interaction with the Son of God while he's on earth, those opportunities are rapidly escaping. 
And, 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 and Mary seems to be somehow intuitively understanding that perhaps Jesus' days are, are limited. Mary is going to be the one person who is not going to show up at Jesus' burial and ever say, boy, I sure wish I would have told Jesus how I really felt when I had the chance. Mary's going to be the one that's not going to be in the position that says, did I, did I leave anything on the table? Did I say everything I wanted to say? No, 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 no. Mary's going to be the only one who can say, Jesus knew how I felt. I took the opportunity, and he knew. Mary's example shows me that when you are truly thankful to God for what he has done, there's really no measure of how far you will go to express it. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want, to, I want to say something to you as a church because you might be thinking this already, and I just want to acknowledge it, that, you know, when I put this sermon series together, I had no idea that uh, John chapter 12 would fall on Commitment Weekend, where we're asking you to give a, 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 an offering and uh, I think it'd be easy to draw the conclusion, well, I know why John, Joe's talking about this today, because that's how I think. So if you're thinking that, I'm cynical that way too. But in reality, I want you to know that when I put the progression of this series down and mapped it out, I didn't even know yet about the property that we'd eventually buy. This was done ahead of time, that, that we would be working our way at this pace through this schedule. I knew about Creation Weekend. I knew how that would affect the series. And I, this was all planned out. But I didn't know that Commitment Sunday would fall on John 12. You know, some people look at that and go, well, that's quite a coincidence. And others would say, no, I think maybe that's really evidence of God's timing. Many in, our, many in our world argue heavily for coincidences, but you know, I tend, the older I get, to lean in on the idea, the truth, that God's got his hand on a lot more things in our lives than we ever give him credit for. So I do see a number of parallels between Mary's gift in John chapter 12 and kind of where we're at as a church family and what we're going through. And I'd just like to share with you three observations from this text, three observations of Mary's thankfulness that I do believe have implications for what we're going through today as a church. And the first observation of her gift is this. Jesus was more valuable to Mary than her most valuable possession. That seems pretty obvious in the text. And so it forces me to ask myself, and I hope it challenges you to ask yourself this question, is that true for us? I mean, is that true? Is, is Jesus more valuable than what we would consider the most valuable thing in our lives? And in essence, would you be willing to pour that out for Jesus? It's like our priorities. Is there anything so valuable that we've been unwilling to express it towards our heavenly Father, and I know that's a little bit of an unfair question on a day like today. We've been very clear. We want you to follow the Lord's lead, you know, whatever the Lord leads you to do. But the truth behind is that God has done great things for us. Is there any measure to how far we would go to express that to him? That's my first observation. Here's my second observation. Mary didn't care 
what other people thought about her expression of thanks. I read that, I'm like, Mary didn't care. Mary followed her heart. She did what she felt was right. And, and the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I, I can just visualize being in the room and, and Mary is there wiping up the nard with her hair and, and Judas is like, what a waste. And if I could be in the moment, I think you'd see from Mary the biggest eye roll in the entire Bible that could be made. I really don't think she cared what Judas thought. It doesn't seem like she cared what anybody thought because it was from her heart. You know, when people do extravagantly big things for God, how do we respond to something like that? Do we respond like Jesus did where he was very glad about it? Or is our response, if we're being truthful, kind of more like Judas where we go, boy, that kind of wasted something there. Why would they do that? Do you ever find yourself in that position where you're like, I don't get it. Why would they do that? Why does it sometimes surprise us when people go all out for God? Why as brothers and sisters in Christ, why does that shock us? Because when people do, we sometimes say things like, I can't believe they did that. I wouldn't do that. How could they do that? Like, let me give you examples. I'm not talking about just financial gifts. I'm talking about just life in general. Something that we're seeing in churches more and more are people who retire, but they're like, I still feel young, I'm still healthy, and I'm gonna put 100% of my energy now that I'm retired into serving God. And we're seeing all across this country folks that retire going on the mission field for the next 20 years because they wanna serve God. And for the first time in their life, they're like, I finally have time to do that. And their friends look at them and like, are you crazy? You've worked your whole life. Now's the time you enjoy your savings. Now's the time you kick your feet up and relax. And they're like, no way. Now's the time we can finally do for God what we always dreamed of doing for God. And the world looks at that. Even many Christians look at that and go, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't give up my retirement years for Jesus like that. What a waste. Or how about the Christian businessman or businesswoman who walks away from a lucrative career because they feel like, you know what, God wants me to do this instead. And I'm gonna trade this lucrative career and the promise of, a, of, a, of an easy retirement and all the money that comes, I'm gonna give that up and I'm gonna go serve the Lord in this way and I'm gonna do this now. And many people look at that, are you nuts? To give up a job like that, to go do this that hardly pays a fraction of what you used to make, you're crazy. What a waste. I remember when I was in Bible college, I played basketball for my college for one year, um, and we played another school, another small Christian college, and they had a guy on their team that absolutely ran circles around us. And you sit there and you watch him and you're like, what is he doing playing Bible college ball? This, this guy should be playing somewhere else. He's way too good, and he was way too good of a talent to be playing here and oh, he was good, he was good. I found out later that that individual had had multiple scholarship offers, many of them Division I basketball to go play. But this guy wanted to be a preacher. He felt the call of God for ministry. And he gave up, he walked away from all these scholarships, the potential of some kind of athletic career because he wanted to go pay for his own college and, 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 and study to be a preacher. And, and many people are like, why are you wasting your talent? 
Why are you giving up what God has given you? Why are you walking away from the, the potential of such a great future? What a waste of your gifts. But you ask that guy, that's not important. I'm called to preach the gospel. Why is it that when people do extravagant things for God, we're surprised, shocked. We just don't get it. Because oftentimes, we're more consumed by the dollar amount or the worth of some object, object than we are about Jesus. We're sometimes shocked because we lack the faith that they are so clearly expressing in their life. Say, Jesus says something about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. It's probably one of those verses in the Bible that should, should cause all of us to pause and think every time we come across it. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. You know, the third observation I, I see about Mary's gift is this. Mary didn't wait around to express her grat gratitude. She just acted on her feelings. Showing gratitude is the natural response to kindness. She was so thankful that, that Jesus had brought her brother back. She was so thankful that the Lord gave him back to her that when she had the opportunity to do it, she wanted the Lord to know how she felt. She seized that moment, and that's why you get verse 8 in chapter 12. Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor, but you will not always have me. And like I said just a moment ago, Mary probably was the only person in the room that really understood Jesus' words in that moment because Jesus would be dead in a week. And we don't know how much interaction Jesus had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus during that final week of his life. The Bible doesn't tell us how much time they spent together before the cross. But here's the truth. None of us knows what tomorrow holds. None of us do. We really need to make our decisions about Jesus today. And I'm not talking about a gift anymore. I'm talking about our very lives. We have to decide, what do I believe about Jesus? And I would say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I pray that you will seize this day, this moment, to confess him as Lord. He wants to be your leader. He also wants to be your Savior. And maybe God is calling you this morning to point your eyes to heaven and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. And I want you to forgive me. And, and I want to be in your family. I want to be a Christian. I want to I know, Lord, that when my time on earth comes to an end, that it's really not the end. It's only the beginning of eternity with you. And I want to be there. The word says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you need to make Jesus your Savior today, I pray that you do it today and seize this moment. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute, and I invite you to 
invite you during that time to sing and pray and make a decision. Maybe, maybe you pull out one of those decision cards and you write down on it, my decision today is I'm going to follow Jesus. Man, I want to celebrate that with you. Turn that in. Come hand it to me afterwards. Or maybe you come right up here during this song and you say, the Lord's doing a new thing in my heart. And I made a decision to follow Jesus today. I'm a part of God's family. God's saving me. And we're going to celebrate that with you. Whatever is on your heart, seize this moment. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. What do you feel about Jesus today? Can I pray for you? And then we're going to sing. Dear Lord, I just thank you for John 12. I thank you, Lord, for inspiring John to tell us this true story about Mary who expressed how valuable Jesus was to her in a way that she knew how to do it. And, and Lord, I would pray that the truths in that story would impact us. That Lord, I pray that right now that you will identify for us anything that we have put more value on than you. That, Lord, you help us identify and even convict us of the things that, if we're being truthful, are in the way of walking daily with you. Lord, that, whether that be a possession, whether that be a way of the way we're living our lives, a particular sin, Lord, would you help us in this moment identify and wrestle that down and defeat it in your name? Lord, help us to confess these things. And walk out of here anew with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us. You've been so generous. Mostly with your son Jesus and his death on the cross. That, that saved us, Lord. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.